today is uh, week five in the series of messages about our emotions and dealing with our emotions in life. And uh, just as you see there, using an emoji, uh, we've used the emoticons uh, throughout the series to talk about uh, how we express our emotions as used on um, social networking, as you uh, text or email or whatever. Just give a little emphasis to your emotion with some of those uses of that. So far, uh, we have considered uh, these emotions, worry, temptation, anger, and bitterness. Um, and in the weeks to come, next week, we'll talk about discouragement, then greed, and then contentment, where we need to end. Uh, so today we talk about resentment, when I am uh, resentful. Last week we dealt with the emotion of bitterness, and today we deal with resentment. And those two are closely tied together. Uh, they are very closely related because uh, they both are our emotional response uh, that comes to being hurt, either physically, uh, emotionally, uh, or verbally. And we have a response that we make, and, and sometimes it's that of being um, of, of resentment. Now, let's just look first of all at the problem of resentment. What, what is the problem? What does it mean? Uh, what is resentment? Uh, resentment has um, two roots in it, uh, two root words. The first is re, which means again, or to repeat, or to do it again, hear it again, say it again. And then the Latin word there that means to feel. So if we are experiencing a resentful attitude, that means that we are doing over and over and over that which makes us resentful. We are, we are thinking about the injury over and over. Uh, we're living through the words that were said. Uh, or written to us or whatever, and we just aren't able to let go of them. And uh, we keep an account of that. It's interesting that in 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul talks about that great love chapter, he says this. He said, love does not keep a record of wrongs. Now that's a good reminder in weddings to do, because uh, married couples need to make sure that they don't keep a record of wrongs, because uh, you're going to be able to discover those in that process of marriage. Some of the nasty habits that your spouse has. You just couldn't believe any human being would do something like that. No, but, but love does not keep a record of these things. Now, that is an accounting image that, that Paul uses here. And, and it's making sure, uh, though, that what is counted is kept appropriately in the ledger. Uh, if you're doing accounting of the books and the money and the finances of a business, a church, a school, or whatever. But Paul says that we shouldn't do that in terms of our feeling about resentment uh, because we just brood over the wrong that was done to us and we never get over it. Uh, one of the best examples that comes to my mind is the feud between the Hatfields and McCoys. You remember that? Uh, it started in uh, 1878 and it ended in 1890. Uh, and... Um, uh, well, I can't remember which one, but one of the families lived right in eastern Kentucky near the West Virginia line, and the other ones lived right in West Virginia, right near the, the, that line, that border. And um, uh, they were at it, shooting. And uh, the result was that over a 12-year period, uh, here's what happened, that three Hatfields were killed and seven McCoys were killed. Well, I think you see the problem there. The Hatfields were obviously better shots than the McCoys, Okay. Then there were two outsiders who were killed. That means 12 people who were killed. I don't know who these outsiders were, whether they were visitors or uh, somebody wanted to see what was going on uh, or whether they were somebody trying to make peace or what, I don't know, but they were killed as well. And you know what started the whole thing? One of the families blamed the other family that somebody stole a hog. And so for holding resentment over a hog, 
that was stolen, 12 lives were taken as a result of that resentment. Now this thing really was a big issue because it really did not come to final completion until I think it was 2003. And the families got together to make sure they wanted the nation to know that there was a truce, they had reached that agreement, the resentment was gone, and both the governor of Kentucky and the governor of West Virginia showed up. So it was a big deal. Resentment is a big deal. And just like bitterness, uh, it can render harm to us in, when things happen to us. Like when somebody says something about us that slanderous, critical, in error. When somebody does something to us that's mean and dirty and underhanded. Or when somebody takes something from us uh, that belongs to us and we should have it and they take it. So resentment is proof that things can happen, particularly mean, angry, critical words really do hurt. One of my favorite commercials is the Geico commercial that alludes to the old saying that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Uh, we, got a, we got the video on that off of YouTube. Take a look at this. See if you catch what, what, they, what they play off of here. Huh. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Everybody knows that. Well, did you know that words really can hurt you? What? Jesse, don't go! Jesse, no! I'm sorry, Daisy. But I'm a loner. And a loner's got to be alone. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. <laughs> Words really can hurt, don't they? I love that quote. First time I saw it, I, had, I looked like this and said, what happened to the cowboy? It took me a couple more times before I finally figured it out. He ran into the E there, you know, and knocked him off. Words really can hurt. And they'll stay with us for a while. And you know what we do? We make a record of it. We keep account of it. We keep underscoring it. And, and, and it's only human to do that. Because we, a lot of you here perhaps have been um, subject to a lot of different things uh, that would leave you to be resentful. Um, you know, you could have been abused by somebody in your home, somebody in your family, somebody at work, somebody at school, whatever, you know, and, and, and abused in a lot of different ways, sexually, physically, emotionally, and all that. And just like I said last week, sometimes to let go of that bitterness and be able to forgive, maybe you need to do a little bit of therapy. You need to go to one of the counselors who can help you with that. Again, I mentioned Angie Hall uh, on staff at uh, uh, Palmetto Health has an office here two days a week, and uh, maybe you might need to talk to her or to somebody else. But the issue is, is if we don't get rid of that resentment, here's what happens. Resentment destroys relationships. Resentment alienates you from people because it destroys your personality. And when that happens, that's emotional suicide because it destroys who you really are. And most of the time, if you're full of, of resentment, you've got a bitter attitude on life. And, and you've got a, a little bit of anger you have to deal with, or maybe a lot. And that affects your attitude if you go around with that. We talked about that last week about that. You don't know happy people who are bitter. Happy people don't carry around resentful feelings a long time. Uh, Proverbs 17:22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit drives up the bones. I learned something this week about resentment. Did you know that your handwriting can reveal to you whether you have any resentment in your life? Earl Dean, one of our members, uh, loves to study this thing about handwriting and, and does analysis of handwritings. 
And he came in one day this week and he said, hey, I saw where you're going to be preaching on resentment this coming Sunday. And he had his book there to interpret different things about handwriting. And he said, look at these things on resentment. And, and it's interesting. Uh, so I, uh, we looked at some signatures and those kinds of things. So I, I took out a, a yellow sticky and I wrote my name on it. I gave it to him and I said, here, analyze that. And so he did. And he talked about some of the things that he saw there. And I said, you know, that's very true in my life. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, uh, if you're capable of writing in cursive writing, I want everybody to do this somewhere on your bulletin or, or whatever, I want you to write your name in cursive writing, your first and last name. Your first and last name. And I'm told that there is a problem in high school students today that they don't know how to write in cursive writing. Do you guys know how to write in cursive writing? Because of all this, you know, social media stuff, they, don't, they haven't learned how to write in cursive writing. You might read mine and think I never learned how to do it either, but uh, anyway. All right, it ought to be very simple. What you write on a check or a test paper or whatever else. Now, does it look anything like any of those up there? You see that Eddie uh, Lanham? If you're harboring resentment in your life, you've got that bold stroke that comes from below the line and goes up. Boy, old Eddie's even got a split personality. Look at his last name, Lanham. Is, is, he's got a break in there and the H. Then look at Steve Jobs. I wonder what he was resentful about. But there it is. And you notice mine? I don't have any of those bold lines underneath, you know. I, was, I checked out okay on that, okay. But isn't that interesting that how it will come out in your handwriting? And it'll come out in other different ways as well. So the problem with resentment is it keeps us from being what we're supposed to be. It keeps us from doing what we're supposed to do. It causes us to focus on the past, and we don't deal with that very well. And resentment does this. That's, that's very important for us to realize why resentment needs to be dealt with, because resentment blocks the movement of God in our life in terms of love, and forgiveness. And those are two characteristics of followers of Christ, believers in Jesus Christ, who want to display the character of Christ. See, it, and, and when we have love and forgiveness blocked out of our life, then we cannot grow into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We cannot become who God wants us to come, become through the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a problem there with resentment. And it's a big problem, so we need to deal with it. Now, how does Christ give us some help about dealing with that? Well, this is where we look at the Scripture. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 5. This is our new bulletin. It'll be on the screen. We're going to look at verses 38 through 42, a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is where Christ gives to us the provision for response. And that means in these words from our Lord Jesus we will find the provision that he gives to us as to how we should respond to some of these uh, experiences in life that cause us to be resentful. It's kind of a pattern from the four things that we'll read about that covers everything else. But beginning in verse 38, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants you, uh, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. 
Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, those are some interesting words. Probably totally counterculture to what we live today. And it was even back then. And Jesus points out some interesting things. He begins by saying, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But he says, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Jesus is making reference to the law. It's the oldest law we know, the law of retaliation that is found in the Old Testament. You can't deny it. You just got to understand the context, that law of retaliation. It's called the law of tit for tat. And it's in Exodus and Deuteronomy and several places there. But it refers to this. It talks about, uh, about the concept of the fact that when somebody is injured, hurt, or maimed, that then justice should be spelled out in the same proportion. In other words, it's designed to guard the society and the culture in which people live so that they would not go beyond retaliation. And it's powerful because even in Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy we find this, you must show no pity for the guilty. Your rule should be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And then this phrase, whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. Now what do we know about, say, the Ten Commandments? What did Jesus come to do in the New Testament? Did He abolish them? No, He said He came to fulfill them. So this was a law of retaliation. It gave you the minimum response that you're supposed to make and not go over that. Jesus came to fulfill that. And and we find out how he does that by giving to us four examples. And they're difficult if you hear them well and you take them to heart. First of all, he talks about, um, about turning the other cheek. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. In Jesus' day, just like it is common in a lot of other places. We've probably seen them on movies. Somebody's got a glove in the hand, they slap somebody on the face with it, and then they come back across the other way. Ultimate insult, slap somebody on the face. Jesus says, don't get mad and retaliate. Turn the other cheek. Now why? Because if you are a Christ follower and you do that, it should shock the person who offended you so badly that they're open and willing to hear you say something about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you respond by hauling off and punching out their lights, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to you. And so Jesus wants us to be countercultural today. And he wants us to work on diffusing any kind uh, of, 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 of difficulty that might erupt from somebody offending you. See, the point of application is this. Christians diffuse an incident by refusing to act upon a personal insult. You turn the other cheek. The second thing is, he talks about settling lawsuits. He says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, back that day, obviously, people dressed differently than we do today. Take the image of a man dressed. He would wear something like a loincloth. That would be like his underwear. On top of that, he would wear a tunic. You might want to think about it as a shirt. Then he would wear a cloak on top of that. Think about that in terms of being a coat. Uh, Now, he could live without the shirt, but he couldn't live without the cloak because he would need that at night to protect him from the chill of the night air. And, and, And so 
even if that coat was pawned, and I guess they had pawn shops back then, that's what the commentators say, it was the responsibility of the pawnbroker to give the coat back to the man at the end of the day so he wouldn't freeze at night. Now that's totally against the culture and the attitude of our society today, isn't it? See, we live in the day with the mindset that says, avoid liability so that the other guy does not sue the pants off of you. We are a sue-happy nation. And then on the other hand, here's the other thought that we go by. If you get the chance, sue the pants off the other guy. Isn't that right? I'm not knocking lawyers, but you've got plenty of lawyers that advertise, hey, you need me, you call me. On your cell phone, right here, hit it. That's all you got to do. I'll go to fight for you. Jesus said, don't do that. He says, diffuse a dispute. In other words, you've got the power as a believer, if you don't push the issue, to diffuse that situation. Third example, he says, is going the second mile. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, Jesus was speaking to the culture there in Israel, Palestine, where they were under the authority of the Roman government, and they had soldiers. They weren't there to look out to look out for the Israelites. They were there to look out for the interest of Rome and to keep the, the people of Israel subdued. And at the same time, they had the right. It's kind of like you see on movies or television shows with cops. You know, they can run out in the middle of the street and get somebody out of their car and say, police emergency, i got to have your vehicle, and they can take off with it. Well, back then in that day, what it meant was that the Roman soldiers had a right because they were the big guys in charge. And it was a law that they could request Demand, rather, that you carry their load a mile. See, remember when uh, in one of the gospel accounts of Jesus taking his cross to Calvary, that they, Scripture says that they uh, forced Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross of Christ. You see, it would work like this. You're sitting there beside the road with your business, minding your own business, and all of a sudden you would feel a Roman soldier with the flat edge of his spear tap you on the shoulder. And you look up, and he says, take my bag. And you are bound by the law to take it one mile. Now, you don't want to take it one foot, let alone one mile. Well, what did Jesus say? When you reach that one mile, look at him and smile and say, can I carry it another mile? That is totally counterculture, isn't it? But that's what Jesus says for us to do. If you're demanded, it's demanded of you to do one mile, Take it two miles and smile about it. Do more than what's required. Now, next example he gives is in verse 42, and it's giving to those in need. You've got to listen very carefully to this one. This one I think will blow you out of the water because we're talking about your money. And that's near and dear to you, isn't it? Listen to what he says. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. All my life, I heard this saying, maybe you did too, neither a borrower, borrower or a lender be. You ever hear that? You ever hear that expression? You know where it comes from? It comes from Shakespeare. I think in Hamlet, when the, the, the young man is going off to college or somewhere, and that's advice that his father's giving to him, along with some other words. Makes pretty good sense, doesn't it? If you don't borrow, then you're not in debt to somebody. If you don't lend, then you don't have to worry about whether somebody's going to pay it back. Yeah, I struggled with that for a long time. That's tough, isn't it? 
somebody comes by and they want to borrow something that you have, how do you tell them no? Yeah, that's tough, isn't it? But Jesus said, you, you, you can answer it by this. He says, give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now listen to what else it goes on to say in Luke chapter 6. He says, if you lend only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners lend to other sinners for full return. And then he went on and said, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. I think it might run the course of simply saying, you see somebody who needs the money, they might not ask if they can borrow it, so what you need to do is step up and give it to them. That's what I'm thinking it says. Be gracious to those in need. Now, those, those promises set the, the, the foundation for our response to issues in life that, over which we could become resentful. And if you notice that pattern, what it does is it calls for us as Christ followers to go beyond the minimum, not to do what the culture would expect of us to do in response. That's the way Christ lived, and He calls us to live that way. And if we adopt that policy, if we put that to work in our life, then here's what we move towards, and that is the process of healing from resentment. So when you struggle with your resentment, your attitude can either be to diffuse the situation, and most of us don't want to do that, or we want to retaliate. And that's what most of us want to do in it. I read this week uh, in preparation for this about... uh, a guy in, um, in uh, one of our major cities that I don't know how this came about, but somehow he ended up uh, owning a piece of property that was very, very odd. It was only about five yards wide and 100 yards long. And it was between two other property owners. And he said, oh, nothing I can do with this. He said, surely one of these two guys will want to buy that just so they got a little extra protection between them and their neighbor." So he goes to the first guy, and the guy says, you're crazy. He says, you know, you can't do anything with that. He said, I'll give you this for it. And the guy said, that's absolutely ridiculous. That land's worth more than that. And the guy says, that's my offer. Take it or leave it. So he goes to the other guy. And he says, surely. He said, your neighbor over there said, no. Surely you want to buy this so you can put a buffer between you and your neighbor. And the guy says, okay, I'll give you a certain amount for it. And he said, are you crazy? Land's worth more than that. So you know what he did? Five yards wide, 100 yards long. He hired an architect, then a builder, and built this house right there. He built that house on the bottom there, five yards wide, 100 yards long, and he lived in it just for spite until he died. And it was known as the spite house. And when I, I, I found that, I noticed that there's, there's spite houses all over the country. There are three others to look at. Uh, to, uh, look at the one on the top left. That guy built literally on the border, on the property line, hanging over his other uh, his neighbor's house. And then look at the other one. It kind of destroys the beachfront view, doesn't it, with that other little one there, single wide, right in front of the, the other house back there. And you know what? A lot of us live in spite houses. They might not look like that, but we live in spite houses because we want to get even. We want to get even. So how do we handle that so that we can get rid of this resentment? Let me give you some principles here. First of all, admit your struggle with resentment. You've got, you got, you got to admit it. 
Rick Warren, pastor out at Saddleback, has a saying that says, Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. That's pretty thoughtful, isn't it? Don't deny your resentful feelings. You don't want to suppress them any more than you already have. Job 7:11 says, Therefore I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. See, the, the Scriptures encourage us to express our feelings. First to God, and then you might want to find a prayer partner or, or a valued believer, mature in his or her faith, who will listen to your issues and, and will hear what you have to say. The second thing you want to do if you want to get rid of resentment is, is forgive. It's, it's interesting how forgiveness has run through most all of these, probably all of these emotions when they've been negative. See, and forgiving is not a matter of whether you feel like doing it or not. It's a matter of a command from God through Jesus Christ. In Mark eleven twenty five, Jesus said, When you stand, pray, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. You see, forgiveness is not about making the other person right with what they did. It's about two things. Forgiveness is, first of all, obedience to the calling that God has on your life in Jesus Christ. And secondly, forgiveness, and you ought to, you ought to embrace it for this, if not at least for the first one, is an instrument, a motion, a decision, an action that you take that frees you from the bondage of resentment and revenge. You might be wondering, where's our shallow Christian with his wisdom? We got him right here, real quickly. This is what he thinks about forgiveness and all that. We all know about the wonderful grace that God has shown mankind by sending his son Jesus to die for our sins and offering us forgiveness if we ask him for it. But this great gift comes with some responsibility. We have been commanded to forgive others as Christ forgave us. It sounds like a tall order, but we must remember something very important. We only have to forgive people that specifically ask to be forgiven. If they don't ask us, we can continue to hold grudges and resent them. You see, God forgives those that ask for it, not just anyone. So we can be choosy in our forgiveness and generous with our scorn toward anyone we like. If there is someone you really don't like and you suspect they are going to ask for your forgiveness, feel free to put your fingers in your ears and hum loudly whenever they are near. You won't have to show them any grace and you can hold their misdeeds over them forever. Isn't forgiveness a wonderful thing? These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. You know, unfortunately, I think a lot of believers have that attitude, but you've got to learn to forgive. Third thing I would say is release your offender. If you forgive them, then release them. Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. You just simply say, God, I turn this person over to you. I trust in you to do what needs to be done about this situation. And then the last thing I suggest is focus on the future. See, resentment causes us always to look at the past. It's like riding in a car backwards. You, you can't anticipate what you're going to see. You can only regret what you've missed. And we, del we dwell in the past because we, we hold on to those things from the past that hurt us and cause that resentment. So what we want to do is focus on the future. 
Again, the writer of Hebrews 12, 15 said, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to trouble and defile many. You've got to live for the future, moving forward, putting these things behind you and moving forward. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, all that sounds good, but it's a bunch of rhetoric. It's theory. It won't work. Well, let me tell you something. If you have been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ, through His death on the cross, for all that you did for Him, then you know that the forgiveness works and it's, and it's God's plan. And so then you know then that if God can forgive you for, for all that you did against Him, then He can move in your life and give you the power and the ability to forgive others, turn them over to God, let the past be gone, and move into the future. You might need, as I mentioned earlier, some, uh, some professional counseling to help you do that with some deep wounds, and then be able to move into that forgiveness. But the bottom line is, when we do that, we get rid of resentment. I hope that we can learn to get rid of resentment. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You would look upon us and not hold our sins against us, but that You would send Jesus Christ to die in love on the cross so that we can be forgiven. Father, I pray that we as uh, followers of you and who seek to be devoted followers of Jesus Christ will take very seriously the commands about forgiving and moving on and turning people over to you and letting you have revenge so we can get rid of, of whatever it is resentful in our life that makes us different, that destroys our personality, destroys our life, destroys the opportunity to live a full and abundant life. And, and I pray, Father, that we as your people will be willing to claim that ability to, to let go of the past and what harms us out of the past and be able to embrace uh, the, the freeing power of offering forgiveness uh, whether people ask for it or not. And then Father I would pray today if there's anyone here dealing uh, with one of these great serious issues of tremendous offense from the past that they'll get the help that they need to be able to, to forgive and release and move on. And if there's anyone here today that does not know the freeing power of your forgiveness, may they come today to know that and experience the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. And it's His name I pray. Amen.